episode number 13 of the Shutdown Inning Podcast. I am Steven Rizzotto with Tyler Hall. Tyler, how you doing? Welcome. <laughs> You're a co-host hey, on this. Everybody. I should say welcome. How you doing? You're right. Well, well, thanks, Steven. I'm doing good. How are you, man? That's good. It's been good. It's been a good week. There's a lot going on. We're uh, we're getting really closer to opening day. And uh, speaking of opening day, we have somebody that is very familiar with uh, opening day, spring training, all that fun stuff. It is a, a Giants lifer, a baseball lifer. He's been in the organization. I believe this is he's entering his 36th year in uh, the organization. Longtime coach. He was a minor league manager. He's been a bench coach. He's been a third base coach, and he's now a special assistant for the San Francisco Giants. It is three-time World Series champion, Ron Wotus. Whoa, what's going on? Welcome. How you doing? Good to see you again, Riz. And I, I like your background there to Golden Gate. And it's real nice meeting your co-host here, Tyler. Um, we were just talking earlier. We got a little history together. So it's great <laughs> to see him again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just to give the listeners a little feedback on that background that, uh, that Ron mentioned, uh, as a, about a 13 year old at, at candlestick park, uh, Ron signed an autograph for 13 year old Tyler about two years later, I met him at Shea stadium and he talked to me about baseball and the giants and, and everything for about 10 or 15 minutes. So I've been a, a fan of, uh, Mr. Wotus as I've always called him for life. And so, uh, yeah, I've got a few jerseys. He signed one for me a few years back. And so, yeah, you know, I've always, my my dad always jokes around that only I would be a big fan of the bench coach of a baseball team. So here we are. <laughs> the only the only guy in the uh, the universe that maybe has multiple Ron Wotus jerseys, uh, maybe outside of your household. Oh uh, well, no, so, no, yeah. I think he's got my household beat too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> interesting. Uh, uh, what yeah, an honor! Yeah, definitely, that definitely really cool. I'm glad that you guys could connect, but. Um, yeah, one thing we wanted to talk about because spring training's coming up. It's right around the corner, I believe, uh, February sixteenth. The week that week, um, pitchers and catchers report, position players maybe a few days later. Uh, you had the chance as bench coach to be in charge of a lot of spring trainings with scheduling and you know trying to figure out where players go and you know just you big part in spring training. So, what is this time of year kind of like for you? and trying to figure out all the mayhem that goes with it. Well, you know, it, it starts about a month earlier, you know, because uh, once the first of the year hits, um, as a bench coach, if you're coordinating spring training like like I did, um, you know, you start calling your pitching coach, your hitting coach, especially the pitching coach and the hitting coaches, because um, you got to coordinate the pitching. You got to know you know, how many days you're going to throw. Are they going to throw every other day the first week? Or are they going to go two days on, one day off? So you start the coordination, then you make up your schedules. And uh, so you do a lot of prelim work before you go to camp. And now once you're in camp, you know, you just make sure you touch base with all the coaches again. You got the appropriate amount of time on the schedule. And it's pretty uh, consuming to deal with. And, and of course, at this point in time, being a special assistant, I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I've already gotten Kai Correa's schedules. Of course, I'm on the list there. And uh, um, so we see he has those all set and ready to go. But there's a lot of behind the scenes work. There's no no doubt about it. Uh, you're excited to go to spring, Riz, because, you know, everybody's tied for first. It's a new year. You want to get in a good weather. It's an exciting time. But I can tell you as a bench coach or a coach that's coordinating spring training, you know, they're 12 hour days because you're, 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 you're pushing the, the, the paper and you're on the computer an awful lot. 
And then you got to go out and get it all to the players and coordinate everything. And this year, uh, real quick, this year's really interesting because there's the WBC happening. And I wanted to ask, because the WBC maybe throws a wrench in, you know, some plans. I, I know the organizations are probably like a little iffy on their players participating. It's great for like the game, the global game, but I'm sure there might be, and, and you've gone through this a few times with some of your guys, there might be like a little hesitation. I know there's a few pitchers that might be participating is that always something that teams are talking about? Like, you know, maybe a, a guy playing even winter ball, I guess it, it goes for that as well. Is there any hesitation with any of that this time of year when the WBC or anything like that's happening? Well, with winter ball, you know, a lot of your players have played winter ball, but they're going to be done. So they come to spring training on time. You know, you're aware if they went to the championship series, it gets pretty late, but there, there's no uh, interruption of spring training. But you're right to the WBC, but, you know, MLB is really pushing this WBC. So as much as an organization, you may not want your star players to go play in the WBC, especially eight years ago when the ramp up was like, you know, we were real concerned. They only had like eight days of workout or two weeks of workouts. And now your pitchers are in a competitive game. You know, that doesn't happen. A spring training game in your first outing is a lot different than playing for your country, right, <laughs> with only two weeks. And and you're concerned somebody's going to get hurt. So you, you don't like to ramp them up that quick. But um, it throws a wrench into the schedule maker. And uh, not only players, because you have a lot of players messing. The, the, the plus side is you get to get a look at some other pitchers or some other players um, when you are missing a lot of players. I think one year we had maybe eight guys gone and you got a chance to look at some other players. And, and that was nice, but not only players, we're missing coaches. You know, we missed our trainer, you know, Bam Bam was one of our coaches. He was gone and you know, for almost three weeks. And it, it was hard for me at first because, you know, you're, you're so anal about doing things right in the spring, getting everybody their work, everybody being on the same page. And then you're missing these guys for a couple of weeks and coaches for three weeks. And it's like, my God, um, you know, we're not going to be as prepared as we should, but it's all part of it today. And it's, it's, it's just part of the gig really. Are, do they allow, do teams have any say in how, how especially pitchers are used in the world baseball classic or our world, our WBC managers kind of mindful of the, the usage and how early in the kind of the ramp up these guys are, or is it kind of uh, hope for the best? Well, I, I think it's a little bit hope for the best. I think what ratchets it up a notch is these players are playing for the country. And and usually they're, you know, older guys, veteran guys that have been around and they kind of know their, their limitations and what they can do, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I know I've been involved with all-star games, obviously with Boach and us winning three World Series. You know, there was a lot of conversation with the other managers, you know, especially with the pitching position players, not as much, but other managers will usually call and say, hey, he's got a nagging injury here. Or, hey, if you can't, you know, please, if you don't need my guy, um, I don't want him to throw if, if possible. So, you know, they, there is some communication. I don't know how much is going on in WBC. I'm sure I'm sure there's a little bit of it. Of course, Dave Rigetti is the pitching coach for USA. Um, I'll check with Bailey and I might even call Rags and uh, and see if he's talking to anybody in our organization about our pitchers. Because I know the coaches will probably reach out to the organization, 
to get a little bit of feel. I know Rags will because he's been a major league coach for a long, long time. And he's going to want to know, you know, how the guy's doing. Is he is he ready to go? But again, this thing starts off so early. I think everybody's a little bit aware that uh, they're not ramped up. But what do you do? You're playing a competitive game. So um, to answer your question, I'm sure there's some conversation. I can't be exact on how much is going on. You got D-Row there too. Yeah, yeah, D-Row, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I'll reach out to him too and find out, uh, you know, uh, well, I'm, I don't even know the list yet, Riz. You got the list of our guys that are going, the list? Yeah, so I think it's Logan Webb for Team USA. I know Jock Peterson, I believe, has committed to playing for Israel. I'm not really sure, but I did hear something that Camilo Duvall might be pitching for Team Dominican. Um, and then I think I think that's about it for the Giants. So I know Webb okay. for sure committed to uh to to USA. Right, right. Well, we'll be losing our trainer as well. So Dave Greshner will be going to help the Netherlands again as Bam Bam's the the manager there. Um, but you know, there's plenty of help in spring training now. There's plenty of other people to pick up the slack. Well, you know, the W. BC is a little different, you know, that not an every year thing, then kind of something else different heading into this year that is, you know, a lot of Giants fans especially might have you in mind is the the new, I'm, Stephen and I have been calling it the limitation of shifts. It's not really a complete ban on shifts, uh, but the limitations that that are being put into place. What, uh, what are your thoughts there? How much does that change your approach and kind of how much does it alter how you can put certain guys in different positions? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you know, wouldn't alter my approach very much. Matter of fact, it would go back to the way I did it for my first 15 years in the league, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, we weren't shifting. So, um, you know, it would be an easy adjustment for me. Now, some of these guys that have been shifting the whole time, they probably don't have the experience to know when you're, you know, playing straight up or you're not in a shift, the little nuances on how to cover the field. Um, I, I think when you're not shifting, um, you know, a lot of times you want to balance the field a little bit better um, and not overplay sometimes because you, you just even though the percentages show you should overplay here, you may be a little more straight up than you think at times um, opposed to actually overplaying. Um, when you overplay, really, like say a left-hander is hitting and you're overplaying, you're really giving everybody to third base area, right? A lefty to third base area, and you're taking everything else away. But if you can't shift, you may not overshift all that much. But what you're going to probably see is a shortstop playing right up the middle, and you're going to see the third baseman standing really, really close to him. And that shortstop on, on shift guys, you know, that shortstop could be on the move. I mean, cheating a little bit. When that ball's released, he could be some guys may be actually on the move before the ball is struck, getting over onto the second base side. So it'll be interesting to watch. I think it's good for the game. Um, and I think it's going to open the offense up a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And, and then kind of staying on the defensive thread for a second, you know, a, a lot of fans in general will think it's, it's so easy to learn a new position, like, oh, it'll just throw that guy in the left or put that guy at first. You know, how how much work, especially at the major league level, does it take to kind of get a guy comfortable or do you does the team assign them work to do at home and during the offseason? Or is it just come to Arizona ready to learn a new position and we'll just put put the pedal to the metal? 
you know, what, what all goes into that? Cause I feel like just, Oh, put him here, put him there. You know, for a lot of fans seems like an easy solution. Yeah. Ty, I mean, that, that's a great question. And that's something obviously has been debated with a lot of people with the new school of thinking and the older school. Um, I mean, look, you know, being a defensive coach, my whole career, um, you know, and watching the nuance of the position, it wasn't easy to move players for me because it's just not standing there. It's the jump they get on the ball, um, you know, knowing the plays, knowing the little things that come up at your position, taking a cheat step on a certain pitch. And when you don't have that many reps at a position, you're basically just playing there. You know, there's other things that come up in a game that make you great at your position. Um, so for me, uh, I, I was never a big fan of it. I think, we, you know, the three World Series or four World Series that we went to, um, we were a little bit more traditional with that. Of course, that line of thinking has changed with new people uh, running the organizations. For example, our minor leaguers are moved all around as well. Um, and the AAA team last year, I went to 20 games in SAC to watch them. I mean, they're on a rotation. So you're just not playing third base. Even David VR, right? He played third. We moved him to second. He played first. There's, you know, there's so much movement on the field. The days of you just being a shortstop and that's all you're playing or a second baseman uh, are really going away. You may have a couple guys on the club that say at one position, but now they're training them even in the minor leagues to move to move around. And I and I think it does suffer. Look, you know, as a developing a player, and you would say Joe Panic's coming up, or when I was playing, you know, I was a, a shortstop and they wanted me to learn second base. Well, they gave me a whole half a season of playing second base every single day. They didn't play short one day, second one day, and flip around and move around. You just don't grasp it as easy. They gave me a whole half a year to learn it. So to be able to step into the major leagues and uh, not have reps or not play that position a lot and, and play it at the major league level where there's so much on the line, it is not easy. It, it's easier for Brandon Crawford or a shortstop to move around. But when you have an average, a below average second baseman or third baseman, and now you want to play outfield here or there, uh, not everybody can do it. or they, they can do it. They can stand there, but they can't do it well. Yeah, me and Tyler are actually just talking last week about Jazz Chisholm Jr. moving to center field, and uh, Kim Ang, the general manager in Miami, was like, "Well, yeah, you know, he's 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 a natural gifted athlete. He could do it." And it's like, "Oh, well, you know, we're sitting here. It's January twenty seventh, and he's just getting word that he's moving positions, so it could be interesting." But one thing about the shift, real quick, that I will say, and you brought up a good point about how maybe moving guys to a position that they don't know could be a little tricky. I think without the without the you know the exaggeration of these shifts, we're going to see a lot less of like your Max Muncy's at second base, and uh, you know I think that the athleticism is really going to come to the infield. It's going to come back. We're going to start to see some dives again, and I think as a baseball fan, they like watching those highlight reel plays in the infield, and it's a lot more different than you know a guy being positioned you know, a little bit to the right of the second base bag as a shortstop and the third baseman moving back and forth. So I think that athleticism is going to be uh, definitely pretty awesome. But you mentioned the minor leagues, and I want to get to that real quick because, you know, this is the, last year was your first year not as a coach, full-time major league coach in the dugout, on the field. It was a little different for you, and I know you were visiting some of those minor league uh, parks and going to the different affiliates. What was that kind of transition like, you know, trying to transition out of going to Oracle Park every day, 
being on the road to being on the road, but with, you know, a lower level of talent in the minor league system, a different role, probably a, a big change. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. You know, I, I actually enjoyed it. Um, it was refreshing and, you know, 24 years in the major leagues. And of course I was at the majority of the home games still working, but I was excited to go to those other places. You know, I, I went back to San Jose, spent over 20 games there. I hadn't been there since I managed uh, in 1991. I managed 90 and 91. And it was a real treat for me to go back and watch an A-ball game. You know, the players are hungry. There's a lot yet you can give them. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Maybe it was just the fact that, you know, a change was good. You know, I was a bench coach for 19 years, coached third for five. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love the competition. I love being in the major leagues. But I think I was ready um first maybe some different things in my life some new challenges um uh, and that's kind of why partly I stepped away and uh you know became a special assistant so I can do some other things so I enjoyed it I'm looking forward forward to it again and, and honestly there's so much that you can do to help the minor league system um it's kind of rejuvenating for me do, do you like the flexibility to get the occasional TV spot on as well on, uh, <laughs> on, on, CS, uh, on uh, NBC? Yeah, well, it's um, it's a job. I'm, I'm learning how to, you know, to do that thing. And, and kind of along the same lines, um, something new and fresh, a, a new challenge. Um, and, and I welcomed it. And, you know, I enjoyed it. It's different. It's not as easy as my day job. I'll say that. Um, to, you have to be succinct when you're on TV and everybody's watching. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed that. But I, I wouldn't give up my day job because uh, that, that's more like work to me than what I'm doing on the field. Well, if you think about it, like Marty Lurie has prepped you for that spot all of these years <laughs> as being the professor. Like you use that and like, you brought it to TV and I thought that was excellent. And also you're like a commercial star too. Like we see you digging into those cheese steaks too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's too bad Boach left. I wanted to do another one of those commercials. We had a great time doing a commercial with Flan and Boach. That was a fun day. And uh, I'm really grateful the cheese steak shop and NBC asked us to do that commercial. And uh, it was, it was a lot of fun, but I don't think we're going to be bringing Boach back from Texas. He's going to be doing rib commercials now, I think probably over there in Texas. <laughs> yeah. I've got some, uh, some barbecue sauce uh, <laughs> commercials in the future for Boach down there. Um, you, you had mentioned, you know, it's kind of uh, invigorating getting to the minor league level where the players are hungrier or, or, you know, still trying to prove themselves. And I, I had, a, I was always kind of curious you know, it seems like people always like to say that players aren't, you know, built like they're used to or they're different now. Um, and I think part of that might just be the access that people have to players now. We see like every facet of these guys' lives. Um, how similar or different is uh, the the personalities? And I know it varies, but in general, of a big leaguer from now to compared to when you first started. Well, it's it's changed quite a bit. The game, the people, you know, the game, the game is 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 changed with these new rules. But I think what's really changed the game, even in development, um, is the analytics. I mean, we have analytic departments at every level in baseball, and the way we're teaching the game to the players is different. Um, you know, the hitting, the hitting is different. You know, searching for power early, doing damage. 
you know, when I came up and all the hitting coaches that I've been around and the coaches that I had that were coaching me, they wanted you to be a good hitter first. Use the whole field. Well, nobody talks about using the whole field anymore. Even with all that shifting, um, there was no coaching of let's hit the ball the right field. I mean, everybody, you guys probably did it when you play. You started off your first or second round. Everything's the right center field, right? And then you did the situational hitting. Hit a ground ball the second. You know, a man on third, infield in, hit a fly ball. Those things aren't happening now. So you're seeing a lot more strikeouts in the minor leagues with the hitting. You're seeing guys trying to do damage. And that was the most glaring thing to me is watching batting practice. You know, the great hitters I was around with, it was Bill Madlock watching him hit when I was in Pittsburgh. He was just playing pepper with the ball, line drives all over the Every ball was hit on the perfect part of the bat, not the handle. And now guys in the cage are popping them up. I've even seen some swings and misses in batting practice. Um, it, it's just a different approach altogether. And uh, I think it carries true in some other parts of the game. The base running is uh, not as important. I, I hope some of that comes back, but I don't see an emphasis on the base running like we did when we were coming up. Um, so things have changed. The players are the same, but the game's being taught a little bit differently. And there, there's sometimes where it feels like the game is like changing a little back because we're seeing, you mentioned Boach in Texas. Like a lot of teams are are realizing that, you know, sometimes you need the experience in the room and the, the Rangers and Chris Young, they went and hired Bruce Bochy. The Mets did it last year with Buck Showalter, bringing him back. And the Astros are probably the most prime example. They just won a championship with your guy, Dusty Baker at the helm. So do you think that some of these managers, you know, being brought back kind of, I guess the elder statesmen, I guess, even though they're, they're not old, but they're, they're a little bit more experienced uh, in the room yeah. compared to a lot of these first time managers getting hired. Uh, what have you thought about that, that trend happening? Yeah, well, I think you're right. Um, look, I, I look at myself, my first year coaching in the big leagues. I wasn't very good. I mean, I had so much to learn about working with a major league player. And I had played in the minor leagues for 11 years. I had played in the major leagues. And now I'm coaching the stars, you know, the Jeff Kents, the Joe Carters, you know, I'm coaching these guys. And you have to learn your craft. And I was fortunate to go through eight years of teaching in the minor leagues. So um, I think there's no substitute for experience. If you're going to go have surgery, you want a guy, you know, his first time he's cutting on you, or you want somebody that's been there and he done that. And for me, I value experience. So I think definitely that a lot of guys that have been in the games and had the experiences that Dusty Baker has had in his life as a great player, you know, for the Dodgers, you know, the teammates he has, the things he'd learned, um, you know, the, the advice he's gotten, and then to manage all these different players in his career, the Bonds, the Sosas, the Harpers, and then all the rookies. I mean, you can draw on that experience and you have something for anybody. Um, so I, I think definitely that it wasn't a coincidence that we saw the Buck Show Walters in there and, and the Snitkers and, you know, the Dusty Bakers and, you know, the list goes on. Even Rob Thompson, who's been in the game a long time, that team was able to come together. Um, not taking anything away from the other guys, but I think I think the analytics has really helped in a lot of ways. And I think some of these guys that have 
the experience before the analytics and now being able to use analytics um, in, in a good way, not maybe too much or tempering it and blending the two. I think if you can blend the two, you're going to get the most out of what the game has to offer today because there's no question the analytics can can pick up on things that we couldn't see with the naked eye. You know, the swing, the, especially the pitchers, the spin on the ball, what's going to get people out. So there's so many pluses to it, but I think blending the two is the real key. Yeah, definitely. I, I I think, you know, I've always kind of thought the same thing. If you could blend, you know, not live by the, the computer, but also just incorporate that and also keep some of the, you know, the stuff that we've been taught our whole lives, that's probably a good balance to have. Um, one guy you mentioned there was Jeff Kent, and he was kind of in the news, especially here in the Bay Area recently in the last week or so for not, you know, for basically falling off the ballot for the Hall of Fame. Uh, pretty shocking how, you know, one of the greatest offensive second basemen of all time could have so little support on the ballot. Uh, what What's it like, I mean, specifically, and also just seeing some of these guys that you were able to coach in your career on the ballot? Yeah, well, it's it's great to see him on the ballot, but, you know, we had our 3-4 our punch was Kent and Bonds, and neither of them got into the Hall of Fame. I mean, we went to the World Series. We had tremendous success with them. You know, when you look at, you know, leading home run hitter for second basements and the offensive numbers, and now I hear people talking about maybe his defense wasn't that good. Now we're talking about defense. I mean, who's gotten in the Hall of Fame because of their defense? Um, not many players. So I wanted them to get in. You know, I'm probably speaking with my heart. Um, I didn't look at his numbers and compare all the numbers. Scott Rowland is 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 definitely well deserving. So is Todd Helton, who I think Todd Helton will get will get in. But it was Jeff's last attempt to get in, just like Bonds. And I, I was really pulling for him because, you know, he was um, a little cantankerous. He, he wasn't easy for me to coach early. But you know what? He played. He played hard, and and he was one of the best clutch hitters that I've ever seen in my life. And I know people, some of the people argue that they don't believe in clutch hitters. You know, RBIs are just a, a result of getting that many opportunities. And, and I disagree because I see great players with the game on the line raise their level of uh, concentration. And maybe that's all a clutch hitter is, is being able to raise your level of focus. And let's be honest, when you're playing every single day and you're playing, you know, three weeks straight, and you're playing in a Monday night with, with 3,000, I'm sorry. It's not the same if you're playing in Dodger Stadium in the ninth inning with the game on the line and you need to win the game. So, um, I, you know, being clutch, I do believe it. Some people have a knack for the RBI, but those things have kind of gone by the wayside as well. The RBI, the run producer, we don't view hitters in that in that manner anymore. And, and Jeff Kent, like, I'm sorry, his stats, like, completely rank – very favorably next to the likes of Biggio and Ryan Sandberg and Roberto Alomar. And even next year, we're going to see Chase Utley on the ballot. And Chase Utley is going to get, I think, maybe even more support than Jeff Kent for whatever reason. And I think Kent leads second basements and homers, RBIs, 290 lifetime hitter. And for whatever reason, he got 46% of the vote. And uh, I think he'll eventually get in via the Veterans Committee. But um, definitely somebody that a uh, little bit of a head scratcher, especially uh, with the, the Bay Area ties. I think the Bay Area reacted um, accordingly, as they should have. A lot of people were upset. Uh, and, and speaking of uh, 
you know, former former Giants. Now it's weird to consider this next guy a former Giant, but uh, you got word that Mike Murphy is is going to hang up uh, hang up the spikes. I know he's hung up a lot of spikes before, like literally, but this time he's figuratively <laughs> hanging up the spikes. Uh, and he's been. This is a guy that's basically a historian of the organization. He's been there since 1958. I mean, literally from Mays to like Jock Peterson, he's been, you know, he's, he could tell the story of the Giants organization better than anybody. And, you know, you've been there a long time too, a very long tenured coach. So I'm sure you've had a lot of run-ins. What was the impact that Mike Murphy had on the Giants organization and maybe your relationship with him? Well, I could tell you this, you know, when you have the clubhouse named after you, the Mike Murphy clubhouse, I think that tells you an awful lot. I, I don't think there'll be another clubhouse manager that's as many years in the game as he has there, there may be, I mean, it is possible, but uh, the other thing that I know is I've never seen a player. Uh, there's been a couple, I, sh I shouldn't say never, but uh, players love them. Umpires, baseball people, the, the other coaches on the other side, the other clubhouse guys, the traveling secretaries. I can't tell you how many people come to our clubhouse to see Mike Murphy. And uh, even now with our reunion teams, when, when Moda came over and, and, and all the players, you know, they were across the street at the V and they wanted to get into the clubhouse. You know why? They wanted to go see Murph. <laughs> and this is the impact he's had. And um, I'm going to miss him because we, we got really, really close the last few years um, because I was kind of on the outs and he was too, you know, there's a new regime handling all the day-to-day -day operations and, and, you know, out of respect, the new crew, you know, they don't they don't want to ask him to do much, but it's different when you're not when you're not in charge. And, uh, you know, I think it was it was nice to see him decide to hang it up because he is in his 80s. My, my goodness, you know, and and to go ahead and enjoy some 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 days with his wife, Carol, and enjoy himself. But I know he's going to come back and visit us. And um, he just brings a smile to my face. It's going to be different walking into a Giants clubhouse with Mike Murphy. Um, he is he is the organization, and he's going to be sorely missed. And real quick, right, uh, my first time going into the Giants clubhouse post game when I was covering a game, I the doors open, they swung open, and Mike Murphy was bending over to pick up someone's jersey on the ground. I'm like, wow, I'm here, I made it. There's Mike Murphy <laughs> picking up laundry, so that's my Mike Murphy story. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Riz, a lot of his traditions are going to live on. I mean, you walk in in a day game and Sinatra's playing and there's <laughs> nothing better. And he's sitting there with a donut and a coffee and there's nobody in there yet. Coach is coming early and it's just a peaceful thing. And and I know Brad Grimm's has that Sinatra going on in the day because it's the way he learned from Murph. And uh that, that'll be playing, I think, forever in the Giants clubhouse because of Mike Murphy. And I was listening to the radio because I heard uh, Kruko or Kuiper. They said there's nobody uh, nobody on the planet has tighter lips than Murph when it comes to you know things that, that he's <laughs> he <laughs> things he can and can't say, say. He will not say a bad word about anybody, and he won't kiss and tell. If this guy, he did write a book, but he didn't write the book he could have wrote. It would have been a <laughs> I'll tell you what. He knows where all the bodies are buried. He knows everything about these <laughs> players. 
and he is not going to say one bad thing. That was his motto. I don't bother nobody. You know, he always said that. And he's leave the players alone. And um, he's not going to he's not going to gossip one bit about anybody. You know, I think it'll be uh, interesting to see, you know, who gets the loudest cheer on opening day now, because it seems about for the past 10 or so years, Murph's gotten the the biggest ovation on opening day and, uh, you know, hell of a career. Put so, him on the wall. Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, Put him on the he's wall. Got, he's got to be on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I hope so. And, you know, maybe they'll do something for him this year. But, you know, Mur Murph doesn't want any attention brought to him. You know, that's the way it is. We talked about doing something last year for him in the clubhouse because a lot of us knew he was going to step away. And But we weren't sure. And, you know, nobody wanted to push him out. Um, I know I talked to him just recently. And ah, he goes, ah, I don't want anything. You know, I had my time. You know, he doesn't want any attention brought to himself. And he's so humble. And uh, we're going to miss him. Definitely. Uh, well, uh Mr. Wotus, we're almost done here. We we do something when we have guests. We call it, we're on the shutdown ending podcast. We call it the speedy shutdown. It's a okay. quick fire-ish, some baseball related questions, some not. Uh, it's almost like a getting to know you a little bit better. So five quick questions for you. Uh, number one, to lead right. it off, to lead it off here. Hold, hold can... on, hold on. Oh, Let me stretch. Okay. Gotta stretch. <laughs> there we go. I'm ready. All right. All right. All right. Uh, number one here, if you could trade places with any player in today's game, who would it be? Ooh. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> trade places with any player in today's game. Well, you know, I'm going to have to go back to Derek Jeter. I, You know, nobody's jumping out in mine right now, but I can tell you what, Derek Jeter or Cal Ripken, maybe I'm stuck in the past, but I, I would have trade, trade places with those two guys. I, I just have so much respect for both of them. Absolutely. I know that they're both, uh, I think Jeter's one of Steven's favorites and Cal's one of mine. So there we go. Perfect. Um, you want to take number two, Steven? Yes, let's do it. So, I mean, you've probably seen a lot of good uh, flicks over the years. What's the funniest movie of all time? The funniest movie? Well, I'll tell you, when I saw it, I just thought it was hilarious. And I saw it a long time ago and you know, it, it jumps out to me. I'm sure there's a lot of other funny, funnier movies, but I always got a kick out of the Blues Brothers. I love the Blues Brothers. Dan Aykroyd, right? And Belushi. Yeah. I, if you haven't seen it, Riz, I don't know if you've seen it or not. You may have to go out and watch this thing. I'm a very uncultured person when it comes we, to movies. I don't know if that's culture, but um, <laughs> of course, they, they had an album that came out, too and uh and the music was actually pretty good so check it out if you get a chance i just started watching rocky so if that's any indication <laughs> <laughs> okay I'll, I'll make sure he watches uh blues brothers all right we'll we'll, we'll get it done all right <laughs> uh number three here if you could watch any player that you never saw live play who would it be oh geez well I i'd probably want to see willie mays um, you know, got to know him. He's a great giant and he's called the greatest player that ever lived. And I would have liked to seen him day in and day out. I mean, I've seen a lot of video, um, but I'm going to go way back. Uh, I, I guess I'm living in the past, huh? but <laughs> Willie Mays would be the guy for me. Cause you know, the conversation is always about him being the greatest player ever. And I'd love to have seen him. 
Did you get a chance to watch the uh, documentary that came out recently about him? No, I did not. And I wasn't able to make the premiere, um, but I will watch that. But I, I think for me, you know, as time passes, the allure of these guys, the maze, even Babe Ruth would have been another guy. Go back in time and watch him play and just see what he was all about. Um, you know, those things would be very interesting to me, more so than a current player today. Just to see if he called a shot in the in the World Series. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what I want to see. Uh, it's so, such a mythical figure. Maze, too, of course. Uh, number four here, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? It's a pretty loaded question there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, well... I think in this day and age, if I had a superpower, I, I like things to go back about 20 years and and politically has, watch us all get along. Um, I just I just, you know, ever since COVID and, and our politics today, um, it, it just I, I can't I can't understand um, how we can't find any common ground. So I, I would like to fix all that and go back to a simpler time when politics, when when people didn't, no matter what side of the aisle you were on, you'd find some common ground. What What is right would be right, and you wouldn't just worry about your own party and your own power. Well, Tyler and I know who we're writing in next November, so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, uh, you didn't think I was going to be into the politics. I guess I'm watching too much politics, but <laughs> that's what comes to mind. It really bothers me. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, and then last question here on the speedy shutdown uh, with Ron Wotus. If you could do anything in sports, what would it be? So it could be any sport. It could be on the field, off the field. Uh, Steven and I did this together on a previous episode. And he said he, he would love to be, you know, like a full-time sports writer. So it doesn't have to be on the field. It could be. What yeah. Would, what would you want to do? I think I also said that I'd like to throw a perfect game. <laughs> okay. Well, well, there's so many sports. I played three sports in high school. Soccer was my favorite. And I could see so much joy being in these other sports as, as, a, as a great player. But I think a challenge would be, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching this uh, Netflix thing. What's a break point about the tennis players and, you know, being the lone person, I've always been part of a team. So maybe being a great professional golfer and dealing with the pressure and the mental stress that goes along with that, um, would be very, very challenging. And it's, it's so different than the team sport that I've done. So that's what came to mind. I'm going to go with being a professional golfer and, and, and winning the masters. There you go. There you go. That's pretty good. And I guess, uh, <laughs> before we let you go, one last thing here, giants off season, how would you summarize it? And, uh, what is there to look forward to in, uh, in 2023? Well, you know, spring's eternal. Everybody's looking forward to get to spring training. And one thing I've learned in all my years, you know, we were never picked to be the best team in all the years that we went to the World Series. And uh, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So right now, um, I, I think we've improved in certain areas. Um, we've we've changed the, the mix a little bit. I, I think we're going to have some fresh faces and some fresh attitudes in the clubhouse. It's going to boil down to us now getting the most out of the players and 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 getting it done. And uh, you got to stay healthy to do that. 
and and you have to uh, be able to blend your players and and go out and have the right culture to win games. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, sure, everybody would love to have a Correa and you know uh, another all-star quality player. But I think we've added some solid major league players. We have more major league players on our roster now than we did last year. And I, I think uh, I, I think we're ready to go and compete in a very, very tough division. And that's the challenge that we're all looking forward to. There we go. There's the Giants fans who are looking for hope for next year. There we go. And now to our next half on the next half an hour for on Carlos Correa. We're going to talk about, no, just kidding. We won't <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> but uh, anyways, well, I mean, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, this was a blast. And uh, for you joining us for, for a few minutes, it was uh, great to connect again. Well, it's a pleasure to be on with you, Riz. And, and, and good seeing you again, Ty. I mean, it's been a long time. And uh, anytime you need, you need someone to fill some time, give me a buzz. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Jinx. (laughs) And of course, you guys can follow uh, Mr. Ron Wotus on Twitter. He's on Twitter at rwotus. Go check him out. And then the podcast, you could check that out on Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple, wherever you find your podcast, and on Twitter at shutdown underscore any. So go check that out. And we will see you next time.